as Nightmare began to speculate the possibilities and formulate the machinations by which he might achieve his true immortality, he happened upon the mind of a young boy. This boy dreamed remarkably elaborate and complex images amidst puzzling mazes of thought. Equally remarkable, just as Nightmare attempted to twist the boy's thoughts into the fearful night terror upon which he could feed, the boy's dream self looked directly upon the mighty creature for only a moment and then reclaimed the dream, twisting it away from Nightmare. The dreamer certainly had no fear of the beast as he smiled upon it and turned away, creating a beautiful and vibrant garden of color and sound. Nightmare never had such an experience. He was immediately fascinated and awed by the boy. He would not have admitted it. He might have felt genuine pangs of fear of that boy. He toyed with the child for days. He could do nothing to scare the dreamer, and he had no power over the boy's hauntingly brilliant and erratic dreams. Feeling himself weakened at not having fed properly on the anxiety of the innocent, he withdrew from the boy, resolving to first rejuvenate and eventually return, unlock, and consume the boy's mind. As Nightmare departed the boy's dream, the dreamer followed him. As Nightmare severed their dream connection, he could not have imagined it was possible, but the boy manifested his dream self in Malifaux, believing it to be just another extension of his own aberrantine dreamscape. It is, to him, nothing more than a dream, and he has no awareness that he has bridged the great divine between worlds, escaping the twilight barrier of dreams. The boy likes to play games, and the nightmarish creature has become his favorite playmate. While the dreamer believes they're playing an innocent game of tag, the living near him see the reality as something vile as creatures dawn from their own dark subconscious come alive to confront them. A favorite game of the child's is called The Monster, where he and his towering playmate chase the others and gobble them up. Like a game of tag, but with horrible consequences. He's now come to call the nightmare Lord Chompy Bits. He's gone by many names. This fits as well as any other. Although a mere apparition, a Malifaux, the boy is known in quickly growing legend as the Dreamer. The power he possesses over the twisting imagery of his dreams has followed him here, and he controls the laws of reality. He ravages Malifaux, reshaping rocks, plants, and even living beings into grotesque parodies of their former selves. So far, when the boy finds himself in true danger, Lord Chompy Bits has been there too, to fight his battles in Malifaux. As an additional fear for Lord Chompy, the master of nighttime terrors, he has heard that other masters of Malifaux magic the Neverborn, seek him and the boy, intending to unlock their secret and use that power for themselves. Now pursued by the Neverborn and human alike, Nightmare has found himself in a strange position, 
in which he must protect the boy while desperately attempting to unravel the boy's mastery of reality. But he is an ancient creature. He knows fear better than most. The strong imaginations of children allow them to have spectacular and fascinating dreams. Often reflecting their dawning understanding of the world, as well as the fears they harbor about the unknown, humans are familiar with dreams, beginning and ending within the mind of their owners. But one mysterious creature might be responsible for many Earthside fears, and superstitions ranging from the boogeyman to the beast. Although he never manifested the traditional mystery of Malifaux magics, this enigmatic creature somehow developed the ability to span the aether between worlds and enter the minds of the innocent. He tormented them. He manipulated their subconscious thoughts and twisted their dreams, infusing their nights with images of their own greatest fears. In Malifaux, he might only be regarded as a hulking and deformed creature, sharing many attributes of a large Nephilim. Yet, in the dream world, he is both a god and a devil, feeding upon the fear only he is able to instill, as he can twist and reshape the images there, bending that dream reality to his will. He is the haunting image of dreams. He is Nightmare. The Nightmare is older than most would believe, including the Neverborn. He is a creature of solitude, exploring the depth of his victims' fears and anxieties, torturing children with perhaps every moment of his horrible life. Those fears not only sustain him, they make him strong and vibrant. He has come to believe that he might be eternal and the powerful imagination of a child might unlock a great magic never before witnessed. The dreamer has no friends. He draws pictures and tells stories of faraway places filled with wizards, and he unflinchedly tells tales of big scary monsters, some with broad wings and long claws, some of giant flying teddy bears, some with many eyes that watch children while they sleep. He frankly scares the other children who have come to avoid him altogether. His parents chastise him for his elaborate storytelling and for the constant complaints of the schoolmarm regarding his staring into space and ignoring her lessons. Sharp cracks of a ruler upon his knuckles have not put an end to these distractions, and his parents have become weary of the constant war between their authority and his perpetual daydreaming. The dreamer assures them that he is not daydreaming, even while he stares absently beyond them, oblivious to their frustrations. When they are gone, he quickly resumes talking to a playmate that isn't there, dreaming of adventures they share in faraway lands and of the big monster they play hide-and-go-seek with. The doctor says the children's daydreams are harmless, imaginary friends, and encourage his parents to have patience. His parents argue that he has involved conversations with his friends 
often breaking out into laughter, and sometimes arguing with them. They hope it is nothing more than an overactive imagination, that he soon outgrows. So far, his nighttime and daydreams are increasing and becoming more elaborate. Bad dreams have a way of clinging to a person's thoughts, even after waking. They even follow the dreamer into the waking world, visible out of the corner of the eye or faintly heard when the mind wanders. Eventually, these half-seen stalkers fade away, drawn back into the in-between place to await the next spirit to drift by. The dreamer's singular talent allows some nightmares to remain in the waking world to wreak havoc long after they should have faded from reality. Stitched together are one of those persistent nightmares. Horrible burlap puppets, overstuffed with rotten meat and offal, these creatures stalk the living, relishing the fear they create. Their crudely stitched faces are twisted parodies of maniacal glee, blank button eyes staring inhumanly into the eyes of those unfortunate to encounter one. Because they haunt waking dreams, stitched together are keenly aware of what scares their victims the most, using that fear to cow them into despair before tearing them into pieces with their fiendishly hooked hands. They are nearly impossible to kill, the terrible contents inside their rough shells extending their parodies of life. They constantly hunger for meat to replace this continually decaying supply and happily take their pound of flesh from whichever hapless soul they stumble across. Lelus are the woes of self-deprecation. Despite their massive physique, other Nephilim and their sibling Lelitu treat these never-born with contempt and disgust. They lack the predatory drive necessary to stand their ground against their betters, instead of serving as their lackeys and vassals, constantly reminded of their worthlessness. All wear a bonding torque, a collar marked with the name of the Nephilim or Lilitu to which they belong. This perversely gives a Lilu some measure of comfort. After all, what Neverborn would wish to claim ownership over a creature completely devoid of value? Those not of the black blood, on the other hand, provide an outlet for their depression. They take great delight in forcing their will upon the few creatures they deem weaker and less valuable than themselves, typically humans. They prefer to strike when their prey is most vulnerable, raising their spirits at the expense of others. Because of their need to pass along their suffering, Lelus forestall their own misery by extending their victim's torment as long as possible. Even the inevitable feeding is painfully slow and purposeful, providing a Lelu a sense of dominance over another living being. The feeling is fleeting, however, and before long, the Lelu finds 
his mind trapped in a cage of his own self-loathing. Lilitus are the woes of forbidden delight. A Lilitus tantalizing exotic beauty seems so inviting at first blush. A glance from one is filled with lurid suggestions, clouding the minds of mortal men with dark imaginings. Their intoxicating voices draw the weak-willed to their side, where they can whisper the hope of uncountable joys to explore in exchange for impossible promises. Few realize the peril they have put themselves into until it is too late and their promised payments come due. Alilitu's demeanor changes abruptly when she learns her victim cannot deliver on its commitment. The honeyed words, so very recently dripped from her tongue, are replaced with an arrogant disappointment as she meets out horrible violence upon the victim. The Lilitu's gentle caresses become searing pain as she uses her barbed lash to flay victims to the bone. Lilitu's take great delight in breaking their victims, drawing sustenance from the sadistic pain they inflict both bodily and mentally. Not only do they enjoy the punishments they deliver to their victims, but they treat their own siblings, the Lelu, in an equally domineering manner. If not for her insatiable thirst for blood, Nekima would have ascended to supremacy over all Nephilim. Instead, her murderous desires led her down a very different path than that of her sister, the ever-conniving Lilith. As the oldest and strongest of the Nephilim, every indication pointed to Nekima, claiming dominance over the Nephilim when the time was right. She waited, honing her murderous talents, until her slightest gesture could flay the skin from a man's bone. Her skills demanded fear-born respect from everyone around her. Everyone but her sister, that is. Lilith's martial prowess was second only to her sister's, but where Nekima's sole purpose was slaughter, Lilith's talents lay in a more subtle path. With the Great Breach's first opening, Lilith began to plot. While Nekima raided and slew what she saw as weak-fleshed invaders, her sister watched and listened, eventually interjecting herself into their midst, learning the secrets needed to break through the human's protective magic and close the breach. When the time came, Lilith's work bore fruit and the destruction of the first human settlers to Malifaux began. Nekima could not count the number of lives she ended that day, such as the bloodlust which overcame her. When she returned to herself, she found her sister sitting where she should be, in command of the Nephilim. She cursed herself for a fool, realizing now how oblivious she had been as Lilith had surrounded herself with enough loyal supporters to give even a warrior such as herself pause. She was forced to take a knee before her younger and less powerful sister, her massive wings snapping with barely suppressed rage at the betrayal. Since that day over a century ago, Nekima has been gathering a following of her own, those Nephilim dissatisfied with Lilith's rule. Her mind is focused on one thing, the day when she has enough backing to challenge Lilith for leadership and victoriously rip her heart from her chest. Someday, 
Nekima will come forward to reclaim her birthright, and she will drench the Nephilim in rivers of internecine blood in the challenging. Hey there, gorgeous. Thanks for listening to us today. And if you like this episode, why don't you go ahead and subscribe? Might as well rate and review us while you're at it. Now, if you're looking for updates, you can find us at soulstorypod.com. In case you were looking to stay in touch, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at soulstorypod. Now, if you wanted to keep in touch with all of us folks personally, you can find us on Twitter. You can find Moose at Mooseyfo, Spencer at Spare Bear the Meek, the lovely man who plays yours truly, Albert Long, at Hot Bam with three M's, Logan at KOTL of the Light, and Alex at Roll for Alex. And as always, I'm your Huckleberry.